Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to an episode of the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm half of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other half of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro, and I'm currently hurting from my Amazon job, but that's another discussion for another day. But Kev, how are you feeling, my guy? You feeling good on this Sunday night? <laughs> I'm feeling good. I definitely didn't expect you to do that. But yeah, no, man, it's a good Sunday. Colts got the W. North Carolina Tigers got the W. Um, you know, the Mavericks continue to make me feel pain. But on a lighter note, it is my dog's very first birthday, so happy birthday to my son, Sabo, and my son being my dog, not an actual baby, for those of you that might misconstrue son uh, for that, but super happy birthday to my baby. Yes, sir. One year old, you love to see it. It's crazy, man. Time flies. I remember getting him at 12 pounds, and he is now like 70 plus pounds, and he's like a horse. Just ridiculous. He's going to keep on eating, bro. Trust me. They, they, he's only going to get bigger, so. Yeah, I know. That's what everybody keeps telling me. But nevertheless, it was a great day for football. Javante Williams just fumbled and the ball bounced right back into his hands. We were just talking about the fact that you can't predict where this ball bounces and it falls on the tip right into his hand again. Whatever. That's (laughs) whatever. Are you ready to dive in this agenda, my guy? Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. It's been, uh, like I said, it's been a crazy Sunday. Uh, a lot of action for you guys. we got a couple of games in the slate and uh, kind of like a, a culminated honorable mention. Uh, let's just be frank. The Detroit Lions got their very first win for the season as time expired. Congratulations to Detroit. We'll talk about that when we get towards the latter part of the episode. But first, we are going to talk about the Ravens and Steelers game. Uh, the Ravens go for it on uh, for two-point conversion to win the game. Lamar Jackson has a little bit of a kind of an awkward pass, and it's out of the hands of Mark Andrews. Pittsburgh ends up winning that game 20-19. We're going to go into the Bengals and Chargers game. Joe Burrow dislocates his throwing hand pinky finger, and the the, the Chargers absolutely blow the doors off of the Bengals, I believe, by the score of, what, 41? Yeah, 41-22. to 22. Uh, The Chargers now climb into the wild card spot for the AFC. Next, we are going to get into a couple of win streaks in the NFL that uh, contain the Miami Dolphins and the Washington football team. Miami played the New York Giants and won by the score of 20 to 9. Uh, Miami moves into, at the re- moves into the record of 6 and 7. They're on a five-game win streak, as I stated. Washington actually goes out and holds off Vegas, and they win by the nail-biter score of 17 to 15. They are also on a win streak, carrying them into the record of 6 and 6. And then, of course, as I stated just a few moments ago, Kyle and I will just talk about briefly how the Lions avoid a, a winless season. And they, you know, provide the upset against the Vikings. And I know that I've been a big advocate 
for the Vikings being a better team than their record shows. But there's no coming back from this. You don't you don't uh you don't give up their first win or Detroit's first win and think that you're uh, you're a good football team. So it's pretty bad, and I think that Mike Zimmer is probably going to catch the uh, catch the uh, the hook, as they say in the uh, in the show business world. So, Kyle, you ready to dive in, bro? Did you talk about the Patriots and Bills game? Oh my God, this is why leading in sometimes gets so hard. We're also going to talk about the damn Monday night game. It's probably the biggest game of the week, no lie, because the Patriots unfortunately hold sole possession of first place in the AFC by the record of eight and four. And they play the Buffalo Bills at seven and four. So this will be for sole possession of the AFC East first place title as of right now at the, you know, this point in the season, super big game. I know Kyle's excited about it. I know that him and Greg had some chirping back and forth through, uh, through our YouTube segments and whatnot. So super excited to see that game tomorrow. Thank God we do not record tomorrow because I'm going to be glued to the TV. Well, straight up, like for the next three weeks, it's fuck the Bills on this side because we play them this week. I think the Bucks play them next week, and then the Patriots play the Bills the week after that. So no, we play three, you. We play you next. We play oh, you. Okay, so three out of the next four weeks, it's fuck the Bills. So sorry, Greg. If you feel that type of way, it is what it is. But yeah, Buffalo's like basically our bitter enemy right now. So gonna have to beat them. And that's fine. But before we dive into the segments that Kevin had mentioned, I got to just kick it to Kev just because it's kind of almost been like a weekly routine that we've done on this podcast. Kevin, I got to get your feelings. I got to get your thoughts on the ass whooping that the Colts handed the Houston Texans today. It was quite impressive. Well- I appreciate that. You know, I'm, I'm going to take the, the win where we get it. Like I say every single week, a win is a win. And, you know, I, I will take the capitalized uh, opportunity to talk about them really quickly. We ran the ball. Kyle and I have been saying this for what seems to be an eternity. Jonathan Taylor got 32 carries. That is how you win football games. That is how you win in the NFL. We had over 200 total yards on the ground, and that's how you win. Houston's a bad team. Both quarterbacks played absolutely atrocious. We were able to sack the quarterback. We were able to create turnovers. We lead the NFL in total turnovers for a reason. So absolutely phenomenal on the defensive side of the ball. So pitching a shutout. It was the first time we've actually pitched the shutout on the road since 1992 against the New England Patriots, ironically enough. Um, so Frank sees it. Everybody sees it in the media. They see it in the locker room. They see it on hard knocks, for God's sakes. If you're starting left tackle or excuse me, left guard has to come to you mid-game and say, let's run the fucking football, um, you should probably run the football. Granted, Ryan Kelly was out with COVID, but of course, Danny Pinter was able to step up and play center very well for us, so we were able to protect Carson. Carson was sacked a couple of times, a couple of bad throws here and there, but 16 out of 22 for, uh, for, uh, with a touchdown. Doesn't, it's not a bad thing for me, so we got to continue to play football like this throughout the regular season, man. We're, we're, we're seven and six. We're in the hunt, as they say, but the remaining schedule after the bye week next week is going to be the Patriots, I believe the Cardinals, then the Raiders, and then the Jags. So the next three out of our four... Uh, Three out of our next four games are going to be very, very, very challenging and very complex. We play New England at home. We go to Arizona, which is the best team in the NFL. And then we have to come back home against Vegas. And then, obviously, we go to Jacksonville to close out the year. So we will see. It is a very final, very tough final four games of the year to close out. So happy we got the dub today. But, again, bad Houston team. It is expected. What's your – how am I going to say this? What do you think this next month for the Colts is going to end up turning out to be? Truthfully, I think the only winnable games in terms of without being completely negative, just because of the inconsistencies in play calling, I would say would be Jacksonville and uh, Vegas. 
It's going to be difficult to beat New England, especially uh, depending on if you guys come off of a victory and, a, and or a loss. It's still uh, a six or seven game win streak. Your defense has been playing lights out. Bill Belichick, as long as we have been alive, has been an expert at taking away the number one offensive piece on any team he plays up against. And that's just going to be Jonathan Taylor. Now, granted, your rush defense is probably the worst part about your defense, considering you gave up, what, 200-plus yards last week. So we will see how we find a way to do that. But this is where I get worried about Frank Reich and his ability to play uh, consistently because he thinks he can outcoach people. You're not outcoaching Bill Belichick. There's a very small group of people that have outcoached that man. And technically, I wouldn't even say outcoaching. People just don't execute on the defensive end because – there's only a few games that I've ever seen where Bill just gets completely massacred. Like, the Patriots don't get blown out. You know what I mean? So, worried about that game next week. Um, the Cardinals, it depends on the health of DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray. They both look to be relatively good today. I mean, D-Hop kind of looked like a little bit on the gingerly side with the hamstring. But if Kyler is 100% and that offense continues to play the way that they have, the defense got four interceptions today. So, I mean, it was against Andy Dalton. But, I mean, let's be honest, Carson Wentz has flashes of Andy Dalton-like passes when he starts to throw it left-handed and shit. And then, of course, you have Vegas, uh, another hot and cold team. There, there, there are days where, you know, their car looks absolutely perfect. And then there's games where they look completely lost. So, um, that's a toss-up. And then Jacksonville is Jacksonville. We almost lost them uh, a couple of weeks back, so I can't say anything against them either. So the last month is going to be really, 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 really tough. I think it might be the the toughest four-game stretch remaining on a schedule in the AFC, I mean, if I, mean, I remember correctly. I mean, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, it's like you said, you're going up against the Patriots, who, I mean, technically as of right now, they have the best record and are the number one team in the AFC. And then you got the Arizona Cardinals, who have pretty much been the most consistent team throughout the entire league this this year. Now, the Raiders game, like, just on face value, I think you guys can win that game. Very winnable, yeah. Yeah, so two out of the four games, definitely winnable. The other two, I mean, if I had to split it, I mean, you guys, I I would say that the Colts have a shot to win that game against New England, but if, if I were the Colts head coach in that game, if I was Frank Reich, I would give Jonathan Taylor 40 carries in that game. Agreed. I would literally pound the rock until the end of the game. If Carson Wentz throws the ball 15, 20 times, fine. I'll let Jonathan Taylor get 40 carries. Or yep. let Naheem Hines get like 10 or 15 to kind of, you know, have a more work-balanced load between the two of them. So, you know, that's probably the weakest part of that Patriots defense is their rushing defense. And you guys have a good offensive line. The Colts have one of the, I would say, probably the top three top four offensive lines in the league. And as far as I'm concerned, use it. Use them for a reason. So got to capitalize. It, There's it, no it, excuse it, why we can't win. It all starts up at the line of scrimmage. And if the Colts were able to, if the Colts are able to establish uh, winning at the line of scrimmage for Jonathan Taylor, when they played the Patriots, I think they got a good shot of winning that game. But it's like you said, which Frank Reich is going to show up for play calling because it's literally been, one game, he looks phenomenal because he's giving Jonathan Taylor the rock. And then other games, nope, we're going to let Carson throw the ball 40 times. And more than likely, it's going to end in a loss. But, you know, that's Frank Reich. I think he's just a little bit too partial to, to Carson. I think that's just, I think it's a little bit of like, you know, I think it's because of the personal relationship that they have. I think that kind of gets in the way 
of the offensive play calling. But, you know. I agree completely. Last thought on that, last thought on the Colts in general. I'm not going to sit here and say that Carson's not talented. I'm not going to sit here and say that he hasn't saved us with a couple of clutch throws throughout the season and that he's made a couple of good throws when given time in the pocket. My biggest thing is you need to have what we talk about week in and week out on this podcast, situational awareness. There is absolutely no reason to throw the ball 16 consecutive times and think that there is not a problem. There is no reason to go out there and try to make um, something out of nothing. If the play is broken down, do not throw it with your left hand and pray to God. If the play is broken down, take the sack. Don't try to roll out and throw a fucking Hail Mary pass to the sideline, then get intercepted or get strip sacked. You have to learn, and this is what Peyton Manning was so good at. Accept that you're going to get sacked. If, you're, if it's just collapsed, just go down. Literally, take the sack, take the turn, don't take the turnover. There's no reason to try to escape, wiggle, bend over, and fucking all the shit that Carson does, which, at, again, at times, sometimes can help us. But I'm holding my breath every time he does it because I think that he's going to fumble the ball. There's a reason why he has the most fumbles in the NFL since he has been in the league. And that's because he's careless with the ball because he's trying to escape out of every potential sack. So Carson can make the throws. Carson can make the reads. And Carson has mobility in his legs, which is something we haven't had consistently since Andrew Luck. Because Jacoby Brissett was always known for being able to you know, move in short yardage gains in terms of mobility. But Carson's uh, ability to move in the pocket has been able to extend plays. We just need to realize there's a time and a place for it and there's a time and a place for Carson to be put into a must-throw situation. Best back in the league, right behind you. No reason to fucking throw the ball 40 he's, times. He's not, he's not the best running back in the league. Yes, he is. No, he's not. Who is? It, it, it's Derrick Henry, bro. No, it's not. Stop it. He's nope. still, he's, Kevin, he hasn't played in a month, and he's still second in the league in rushing. I'm aware. <laughs> I, I stand by what I said. Stand by what Maybe. I said. He's not the best running back in the league. I stand Maybe. by what I said. That's fine. That's fine. But do you think that Carson, do you think he's earned your trust to be the starting quarterback moving forward for them? Not yes. just for the rest of this year, but like yes. the next couple of years. Yes. Listen, the slow start injury right off the bat in training camp. Yeah. And then literally right after he got healthy from, from the foot surgery, rolled both ankles in week two. Like, and I mean literally both. So it's like, I can't complain. I, I, I really can't. He's got 22 touchdowns, five interceptions. I can't complain. It's really just been Frank Reich. Yeah, it's, it's strictly play calling. Carson has made bad mistakes, albeit a lot of them are just stupid as shit. But People tend we're, to talking under, we're talking about under 10 total turnovers in a season. He hasn't had a season like that since he's won an MVP. Or since he was in the MVP uh, discussion. He was, he was going to win an MVP before he shredded his knee, but, you know. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I get the relationship that him and Frank have. This is the best Carson Wentz we've seen in potentially maybe three or four years. So that's a good thing. But you got to stop, like you said, you got to stop being partial and saying, my quarterback can beat your quarterback. Or, or, or I know Carson can make this throw. Bro, we're, we're fucking winning the game. Run the football. And do not throw it on some dumbass fucking bootleg rollouts. That's enough. We're going into the next topic. <laughs> All right. So with that said, we're going to transition into the Steelers and Ravens game. Probably 
one of the best games that we saw from the entire slate uh, for the week 13 games. Uh, the Steelers get a really close win over the Baltimore Ravens by the score of 20 to 19. With the win, the Steelers improved to 6-5-1 and one on the season. And with the loss, Baltimore falls back to 8-4 and four on the season. This was a game that, at the beginning, it seemed like the Ravens had full control throughout most of the game. And then the fourth quarter happened, and the Steelers scored 17 points. Up until that point in the game, they had only scored three points throughout the first three quarters of the game. But go on a huge run in the fourth quarter, end up scoring 17 points, and end out edging the Ravens by one point. So, Kevin, to kick the question to you, was this a game that the Ravens choked or that the Steelers won? Probably lean towards the Steelers won. I think that people are sleeping on the fact that they are able to come back in the fourth quarter. And I don't know if that's because Ben Roethlisberger is able to take advantage of soft coverage. I don't know if that's because Mike Tomlin is able to rally the, the, the offense together. I, I genuinely can't put my thumb on it because we've seen the Steelers come back in multiple games from the brink of basically like elimination in terms of like just losing a game. And the Steelers did it again today. And Lamar Jackson's inability to kind of read a defense and, and read coverages. It's just, he was sacked seven times today. Pittsburgh was really able to really able to get to him. Um, Lamar has really struggled in terms of putting the ball downfield and has had a lot of turnovers, as I said, a couple seconds ago over the last month or so. So I think that Pittsburgh took advantage of a lot, the miscues that Baltimore had, and I think that the offense was able to really capitalize. I mean, for God's sakes, Deontay Johnson was open in the middle of the field for like a 44-yard touchdown in the third quarter. That I, I, How someone gets that open in professional football, I don't understand. So, I mean, kudos to, once again, the, uh, you know, the Steelers offensive coordinator for going out there and, and creating and mapping out a beautiful play. But I think the Steelers are, are fighting uh, again, I still stand by Ben being completely immobilized because he just looks like he can't move at all. But Najee Harris is doing what he needs to do and carrying the load. He leads the NFL in total touches, which is beyond me. I didn't even think that was a, a metric outside of Jonathan Taylor and uh, Derrick Henry. But for whatever reason, Najee Harris leads the league in that. And I think he's a, a great piece. Ben Roethlisberger says that he's the best running back he's ever played with. And I think that that speaks volumes because Ben has played with – Jerome Bettis, a Hall of Famer, a Super Bowl champion. Le'Veon Bell in his prime. He had Willie Parker, Rashad Mendenhall, and again, in their primes, both solid running backs for a period of time. So for him to go out there and say that, you know, Najee in his rookie season is the best running back he's played with is crazy, but, I mean, it, it, it's working, and I think that uh, Pittsburgh looked pretty good today. And Teddy Bridgewater just threw an interception. Wow, that's pretty bad. Your boy, though. Uh, no man, I, Jer- oh my God, Jerry Judy's my boy. That's I needed that, and that just didn't happen. So, as far as the question goes, I'm going to say the Steelers won this one. This is one of those games, Kev. I think you're fully aware of just the battles that the Steelers and the Ravens have gone through over the last decade or so. And like, I'm of the mindset that that's what this game turned out to be. It was a low-scoring affair. Both defenses, I thought, were playing very well throughout most of the game, but. I was surprised at how well the Steelers were able to execute in the fourth quarter because up until that point, watching Ben Roethlisberger move out there, dude, the only way I could kind of put this is it looks like he's running with like cinder blocks on his feet. Like he just can't move. But despite that, I thought the Steelers were able to rally in the fourth quarter and they were able to make some good plays. And not only that, I like the fact that the Steelers' offense was able to 
integrate pretty much everybody in the offense. I thought Najee had good touches in the fourth quarter. I thought Deontay Johnson was an absolute beast in the fourth quarter. He was really their number one wideout that they were going through, that they were going to throughout most of the fourth quarter. And I also thought Fryermuth, he had some pretty solid catches for them. And I know he's kind of become like a fan favorite in the Steelers just because they keep yelling out his name, kind of like what they used to do with Heath Miller when he was playing back with the Steelers. Heath Miller, wow. Yeah. So, but not only that, I thought their defense stepped up huge, like you mentioned. The seven sacks against Lamar Jackson. I mean, that's a hell of a day. And even when I thought that the Steelers looked like they were dead in the water. This is kind of like going back into the, the earlier stages of the game. That defense is what kept them in it throughout most of the game. Now, granted, they did give up that touchdown to Lamar Jackson in the Ravens offense with about like 10, 15 seconds left in the game. And I do think that the Steelers got bailed out by just an inaccurate pass by Lamar Jackson to Mark Andrews on that two-point conversion because... Mark Andrews catches that pass, the Ravens are going to win that game. And that's literally how close the Steelers were to losing that game. It was literally just a fingertip from possibly losing that game. So, all in all, this was a game very traditional as far as just the rivalry that the Steelers and Ravens had. And I got to give credit to the Steelers. This is a team that's been up and down throughout all throughout the entire season. And despite how bad they looked through the first three quarters. They were able to rally in the fourth quarter, make some plays when it mattered the most, and ended up getting a win against arguably the best team in the AFC in front of your home crowd. So I got to give a lot of credit to the Steelers for that. And when it comes to the Ravens, it's just one play. That two-point conversion, I don't mind the fact that they went for it. Just literally that pass was off by maybe one or two inches to Mark Andrews on that two-point conversion. That's literally the difference in this game. But all in all, great game, great rivalry matchup. And Steelers get the dub, man. And I got to give them respect for that. Yeah, no, I really couldn't agree more. It's uh, I don't mind the play call. It was a really it. good no. play. Mark Andrews coming across throughout that flat to end up where he was. It was a beautifully drawn-up play. Great confidence by John Harbaugh and his quarterback. But like you reiterated, um, just a just a smidge off, and Lamar Jackson has looked relatively off for the last couple but, of weeks. So, but probably the most unsung hero on that play was T.J. Watt because he was getting pressure in Lamar's face, and Lamar kind of had to throw it sidearm. And just that movement, just that pressure that T.J. was able to bring towards Lamar Jackson on that two point conversion, I think it was enough to affect that pass. That's the difference of the game because twelve. I think it was like twelve seconds left. When they were going for that two-point conversion, I mean, like that. The, the, the game is it's right there. But TJ made the play that needed to be made just to get pressure on him. And it just threw off the pass off from Lamar just a touch. And that ended up being the difference maker. So, hey, the Steelers came to play today, it's, it's, especially their defense. I mean, getting seven sacks as a unit. Really and on Lamar him. Jackson. <laughs> I know. People. And you can't really ask anything more from your defense than what they were able to do in that game. And holding Lamar Jackson in that Ravens office at 19 points, solid. But before we move on to the next topic, I got to say this. This is a game where I truly believe the Ravens missed J.K. Dobbins. 
this is a game you put J.K. Dobbins in the backfield with them. I think it's an immediate game changer. I this is really this is really one of the first few games where I could say if J.K. Dobbins is in this game, I think they win this one. I really just because they just can't get the consistency in the run game like they're accustomed to doing. And I think if they were able to get some decent carries, I mean, they rushed for over 100 yards as a team today, which is not awful, but knowing the Baltimore Ravens, usually they like to run upwards of like 175 to 200 yards rushing. I think J.K. Dobbins could have possibly gone for like 100 to 125 yards against that Steelers front four. But it it just sucks because I really do think that J.K. could have made a difference in this game. But, you know, tearing ACL. That'll do it to you. Just can't do it. So, yeah, the, the, that was really kind of the, the one thing that I kind of wanted to mention before going into the next game. I just think that J.K. would have been the been a huge different make, difference maker uh, for the Ravens against the Steelers. But you got to make do with what you have. So, Ain't that the it, truth? It is what it is in that respect. So, with that said, we are going to transition into our next game. And that is going to be the Los Angeles Chargers beating down the Cincinnati Bengals by the score of 41 to 22. It was quite a shocker because Kevin and I had both picked the Bengals to win that game against the Chargers. Kevin, what's up? Freaking Broncos just literally bumped into themselves on a punt return and gave it right back to Kansas City on like the 20. Like legitimately bumped into one another. Like granted, they were trying to sandwich the returner or the the, the tackler in, you know, to try to give room to their return man, but they legit crashed into the returner himself and gave it right back. Just awful. You look disgusted, Kevin. I just it's it's just bad special teams play, and I need Jerry Judy to score, man. I can't. He can't score if he's not on the fucking field, bro. Damn it. How, how many points have they scored? Three. Yeah. It's still ten to three. Yeah. Hey, bro. It's like we said the other day, which KC team was going to show up. Defense, we're, bro. We're, we're we're getting the this is the KC team that barely beat the Packers with Jordan Love. This is the team that damn near lost to the Giants. I'm just saying. This you KC... know it's thirteen it's thirteen three Kansas City. Oh, 13 three. I, I thought it was still ten three. No, no, no. They scored a field goal last drive. Oh. Uh, bro, this team could be had. This team can be had. It can be. But well, we'll go back to the topic at hand, which is the Los Angeles Chargers beating down the Cincinnati Bengals by the score of 41 to 22. It was quite an impressive showing from Justin Herbert and the entire Chargers offense. I mean, putting up 41 points on the road against the Bengals is no easy feat, but they were able to accomplish that in that matchup on Sunday. So, Kevin, to kick this question to you, just how surprising was this win with the Chargers? just essentially beating the brakes off the Bengals on the road. I mean, I don't necessarily think it is uh, a shock by any means. I mean, we both predicted San Diego to, excuse me, LA to win. So I'm not going to sit here and, you know, make it out to be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they went out there and blew them out. It was more along the lines of it was an expected win. It's just how dominant it was is a little bit more of the, wow, like kind of like a head turner. Uh, But Joe Burrow got hurt. 
in the first quarter with a dislocated pinky in his throwing hand. Uh, again, I'm not making excuses, but that does affect how a quarterback can throw the ball. You were able to see visibly on the sideline. He was in pain the entire game, and it affected how he threw the football. So I'm not going to go out there and say that that made that much of a difference to go out there and, and lose by 19 points. But, you know, a couple of throws could have potentially been made, and the offensive line play was atrocious. Joe was sacked six times. Joe Mixon had that crucial fumble in the third quarter in which – the Bengals were driving. It looked to be like they were going to go out there and take the lead because they scored 22 unanswered points after the Chargers went up 24-0. So I think that that kind of blew all of the momentum out of the air balloon, out of the hot air balloon. It kind of deflated in and of itself, and the Chargers just continued to steamroll and kind of move forward because, I mean, Cincinnati didn't score any points in the fourth quarter whatsoever, and the Chargers scored 17. Your defense is on the field for the majority of the game. There's not really much you can do. Justin Herbert was able to kind of dice up this, this secondary relatively simple, uh, relatively easy. Um, the only thing I will circle, um, they weren't able to really run the ball too well. Um, L.A. only had 79 total rushing yards for the game. But on the other side of the ball, or on the other side on the other team, um, Cincinnati was only able to run for 96 yards. So both defenses were able to at least try to contain the run. Joe Mixon and Austin Eckler, both two very uh, similar running backs and both very effective ball carriers in the league. But it is what it is at that point. Uh, L.A. goes out and wins and moves up to 7-5. and five. But, you know, Justin Herbert just seems to be kind of on that track right now in which he's just carving defenses up and he looks like he's having fun. Well, this was a game that, to be quite honest with you, I was kind of surprised at how it played out because – if I remember correctly, I ended up picking the Bengals to win this game. And oh, you did? Yeah, I did. And oh. I was kind of surprised at how bad they just got run off the field in this game. To be quite honest with you, the Chargers got off to a great start. You know, going up 24 nothing, you really can't ask for anything more, especially doing that on the road. But I got to give credit for the Bengals fighting back in the – later stages of the second quarter and going into the third quarter. But to be quite honest with you, this was a game that I thought was a little bit more sloppier than I originally anticipated. Because if I remember correctly, the Chargers turned the ball over three times in this game. They lost two fumbles, and they also had an interception from Justin Herbert. And then on the flip side, Cincinnati was careless with the football as well. They lost two fumbles as well, similar to the Chargers. And then Joe Burrow had two interceptions. So this was a game where you could definitely see some inexperience and you could definitely see the youth as far as the quarterback play goes and just inability to have solid ball security throughout the entire game. And I thought that the Chargers were able to really punish the Bengals in that regard because like you mentioned, to me, this game flipped in that third quarter fumble with the Bengals. You take that away. The Bengals could honestly have pulled off maybe 30 unanswered points against the Chargers. <clears throat> but it's like you said, once the Bengals had lost the momentum on that turnover, the Chargers punished them for it. Going on a 17-0 run in the fourth quarter, it's a ball game. And even though that this was going to be probably one of the more anticipated matchups between just the young quarterbacks in Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, this is a game when I really kind of look back at it. I thought Justin played a lot better than Joe, but you could still tell that there's some inexperience as far as both of these quarterback goes, as far as both of these quarterbacks go, excuse me. But all in all, I thought Justin outplayed Joe. 
I thought Justin played played a solid game overall. But still, there's still some inexperience showing from both quarterbacks. But all in all, Justin did enough to get the Chargers the win as far as just getting points on the board. And it, I will say, you know, the Chargers are sitting at seven and five right now. I don't know if they're going to be able to overtake the Chiefs in the AFC West. There still is a month left of football left to be had. So never say never. But the main thing moving forward, really for both quarterbacks, is just consistency and just limiting the turnovers. So it's really the best thing I could say moving forward. But this is a good win for the Chargers. And it does keep them in the mix, not only in the AFC West, but you know I think they have a good shot of making the playoffs moving on from this point forward. That's just kind of how I see it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And thankfully, Baltimore lost. So, you know, it doesn't uh, make a difference in terms of the AFC North standings. They're still, uh, the Bengals are still a game behind the Ravens for the division lead. So we'll just have to see how the rest of the season plays out with four games left. And the AFC North just continues to get tighter and tighter, especially since Pittsburgh goes and gets that upset. And the Steelers are now at 6-5-1. and one. So I feel like a lot of divisions right now are getting really, really, really tight, a lot closer than we've seen in the past. I mean, for God's sakes, the AFC West before today started, it was legit. The Chiefs had seven and four. Everybody else was six and five. So it's kind of crazy. And now the AFC North is turning out to be pretty much the exact same way. Ravens are eight and four. Bengals are seven and five. I think Cleveland is six and six, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And then obviously the Steelers are six, five and one. So it's legit. I mean, everybody is within a few games, if not a game of each other. And it just goes to show. The AFC is getting a lot tighter. The AFC is getting a lot more competitive. And that that uh, that playoff scenario is just going to get a lot more interesting the further the season kind of progresses. Yeah. Can we get an update on the uh, Chiefs-Broncos game? Uh, Chiefs just scored another field goal. It is 16-3. Thankfully, I have Butker. So I am a happy individual that he has me, I believe, 12 points. It's pretty solid. Pretty solid. But yeah. with that said, we're going to transition into our next segment, which is going to be the Miami Dolphins. This is one of the very few times where I think Kevin and I have actually set time aside for a segment for the Miami Dolphins. Just because the Dolphins did not get off to a good start early in, earlier in the year, excuse me. But they have managed to pull off five straight wins. They were able to get their fifth win in a row against the New York Giants, beating them by the score of 20-9. Granted, not a lot of fireworks from the Dolphins but it's enough to get them the win. And with the win, they're only one game under 500 and they're currently sitting at a six and seven record. So Kevin, to kick this question to you, what has been responsible for this five game winning streak from the Miami Dolphins? Oh, before I get started on that, I want to make a huge shout out to my little brother, uh, my brother, Max. He is a diehard Dolphins fan since pretty much the day he picked up a football and we're from New York, so you can imagine us moving to Florida. He was happy as a pig and shit. Uh, very weird metaphor, I know, but I always say it. Because um, the Dolphins are just always on TV. So he kind of called it when Miami fell into that, that, that weird stage of 1-7 and seven and it, or 2-7, and seven, whichever it was. I just can't do math. And he was like, listen, we have, the, we have the potential. We have the personnel. We have the coaching. We just need to find a way to get this defense back in order. And I was actually telling Kyle that my brother kind of called it earlier in the year that he said once the defense turns it around, Tua will find a way to manage the clock. He may not dazzle you with crazy throws on the field, but 
he is a perfect game manager and he actually, believe it or not, leads the NFL in completion percentage. Uh, I did not know that at all uh, coming into today. So answering the question is going to be Miami's defense. Kyle gave me the numbers and I'm actually just going to pull it up once again right now. If I'm not mistaken, Miami has been able to hold a lot of teams over the last five games under 20 points. Um, Starting it off, they played the Texans. They won 17 to 9. They then played the Ravens 22 to 10. They played the Jets 24 to 17. They played the Panthers 33 to 10. And then today, they played the Giants 20 to 9. So I stand by what I said I was right originally. Um, They were able to hold every single opponent under 20 points over this uh, past five games. And their offense is doing just enough to really carry them into the winner's circle. Tua's managing the game. He's not turning the ball over. They're able to somewhat kind of run the ball. I mean, I can't even say that they're actually atrocious at running the football. They're one of the worst teams in the league. I mean, Miles Gaskin is maybe average depending on what's going on and depending on the situation. I believe the Dolphins have probably one of the worst offensive lines in terms of creating space for their backfield. Uh, But again, even with that depleted backfield and lack of a run game, they are still finding ways to win football games. And, and, and huge parts of that defense finding a way to not only create terms but get to the quarterback. They were able to sack Mike Glennon three times today and create a turnover with an interception. So Miami looks good. They're making a push. Again, the AFC East is another division that is getting a lot closer. And I'm assuming in Kyle, uh, I can't speak for Kyle, but if I was in your shoes, I would not like the fact that everybody in this division is starting to kind of get it together and win outside of the Jets, of course. But, you know, Miami's kind of, you know, bringing it back. Buffalo is Buffalo, and then you guys are just getting to the top. So um, I won't sleep on Miami. I'm not going to go out there and say that they're going to make the playoffs, but they are making some noise, and I think that they they deserve and earn some respect. When I look at the Dolphins and as far as this win streak goes, it really comes down to two factors. They're not turning the ball over, and that's because two has been – one of the more accurate passers that we've seen in the NFL, if not the most accurate passer in the NFL that we've seen this entire year. And like you mentioned, Kev, it's been their defense. Their defense has been able to hold opponents under 20 points, like you mentioned. And when you combine those two factors together, granted, I wouldn't say that the the Dolphins look explosive or they look like they're the best team in the NFL with the way that they win these games, but it's effective. It's working and it's ending in wins. And this is something that, to be honest with you, being a Patriot fan kind of taught me this. What I think the Dolphins have established with Tua is they figured out a win. They figured ways to win, but in a boring manner. And I don't mean that in a bad way. And here's why a lot of the throws that Tua makes are relatively safe. he's not lighting up NFL defenses or NFL secondaries like Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, or Tom Brady does. But he is hitting on these effective 5, 10, 15-yard routes. Granted, I know it's not flashy. A lot of these plays are not going to end up on SportsCenter or like they're not going to end up in the top 10. But it's effective. He's able to complete these passes in a consistent manner. And it's leading to points at the end of the day. And that really, that's the only thing that matters. As long as they're not turning the ball over, it's a winning formula. And then when you look at the defense, they're able to get a pass rush. They're able to create turnovers. And they're able to get the other team's offense off the field. And as far as I'm concerned, that's the best thing that you could ask for with a relatively young team. And I think Brian Flores, as the head coach, Granted, they got off to a shaky start 
earlier in the year, but I think he's done a phenomenal job of rallying this team together and getting these guys in positions to succeed. And they're capitalizing on that. Granted, they're sitting at six and seven right now. I think if they had got off to a better start, they could potentially be at like an eight and five record had they won some of the closer games that they unfortunately lost earlier on in the season. So when I look at the Dolphins, they're definitely a team on the rise. They're definitely a team to be on the lookout. I don't know if they're really going to compete with the Bills and the Patriots just because, you know, both of those teams are at the top of the AFC at this current moment in time. But I don't think people should be sleeping on Miami at this current moment in time. Their defense has been spectacular the last month or so. Two has been playing effective football, and it's leading to good results. And I think really Brian Flores, he's done a phenomenal job of setting up great game plans for this team to, to succeed. And I think these players are going out and executing it in a fine manner. So good on Miami. Just had they got off to a better start, they'd be in a better position right now. But they're making the most of it right now. And who knows? we got a month left in the season to go. They could pull off a possible wild card spot if they continue to win these games. I can't rule that out at this current moment in time. Teddy Bridgewater just threw a pick six as they were driving on Kansas City's 30-yard line, and he threw it right to Sorensen. Sorensen got the pick? Yeah. He's been getting crucified. Oh, tip pass, tip pass, tip pass, tip oh, pass. Okay. That's why. Okay. it didn't. Was you it, couldn't see it in, in fast motion, but yeah, Judy? no, tip pass. Uh, no, it was going to uh, Tim Patrick. Uh, sorry, Kev. Yeah, Teddy well, Bridgewater just well, down bad. Well, I mean, this necessarily may not be the worst thing for you because and Bucker the... missed an extra point. You motherfucker! So what, it's twenty-two to six, right? Yeah, twenty-two to Four... three. Fourth quarter. Yeah. How much time left? Uh, about nine, high nine minutes, just about ten minutes. You better hope that they just throw the ball from here on out. So I'm just, just tired. Get, I'm, just I'm over Judy, it. Just to get Judy some points, but yeah, I need something. But you know, good on the Dolphins, bro. Good oh, big facts. I'm I'm high, I'm happy for them, man. I, I love when my brother's team wins. Uh, I've been to the stadium. Uh, I support the team. I mean, I always have since my brother has been a fan since we were kids. Obviously, not when the Colts play them, but was doing it. Tua was getting a lot of criticism early on in the year. Just the inability to stay healthy, inability to push the ball down the field. You know, they were one and seven. It was just everything was bad. Brian Flores was on the fucking hot seat. The defense, everybody was about to get cut. Like they did a complete 180. The organization stuck with what it is they believed it was effective, and that was, you know, playing effective football, you know, whether that's check down or not. And then of course the defense capitalizing on the offense kit the offense's lack of ability to move their ball and their offense down the field. So it is what it is. Miami's moving, and they're doing what they need to do. I agree with you completely that I don't think that they're going to make any noise in terms of, you know, like the postseason or anything like that. But for them to go out and do what they're doing this late in the season is something to take note of. Yeah, and I can't rule out a possible wild card spot for them. It's like I said, I don't think they're going to be able to overcome the deficit that they kind of dug themselves in trying to get back to – where New England's at or where Buffalo's at in the AFC East. But, I mean, if, if they continue to win, I can't say that they're not going to be fighting for an AFC wildcard spot at the end of the year. They definitely can make that happen. It's just consistency. If Tua yeah. keeps playing the way that he's playing, they're not turning the ball over, and their defense is playing stellar, 
they could they could make it happen. I can't rule it out. So anything's possible. We've it, seen crazier things happen in the league. I think New England's going to give it to him in the last game of the year, but that's that's just me. That's just I, I just yeah yeah yeah. I just had to throw that out there, but you know it it is what it is. I'm still salty about that's the fact fine. that we lost the first game of the year to them, but you know that's another story Listen, for another. Day. You'll you'll have your Patriots moment in a few segments. All right, let's just you know like, let the Dolphins have their shine. It is what it is. Yeah, fair transition. Enough. Fair enough. So with that said. We're going to transition into our last featured topic of the Sunday slate games from week 13. And that is going to be the Washington football team defeating the Las Vegas Raiders in a close game by the score of 17 to 15. With the win, Washington is now currently on a four game winning streak. Currently, they're sitting at six and six, and they have kind of showed that they are a team to contend with moving forward. And they are in the mix of a possible NFC wildcard spot if they continue to play this well. So, Kevin, to kick this question to you, what's really been the formula for Washington for this four-game winning streak? Once again, it goes to the defense. And the irony behind this is the best defensive player on the team is out for the year with a torn ACL. The Washington football team have been able to go out and beat Two relatively good teams, and they beat uh, a surging uh, Carolina Panthers at the time in which they defeated them. They beat the Bucks 29-19, to so they held Tom Brady to 19 points. The next week, they go out and they beat a hot Carolina team, and they won 27-21. to Then they go and they beat Seattle last week, 17-15, to and then this week, beating the Raiders, 17-15. to The fact that both of them, both the last two games ended at the same score, of 70 to 15, Kyle and I were talking about it. It's absolutely insane. But what I'm looking and I'm saying, you know what? This team has earned my respect. They started the season off in a way that was just not, not ideal. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick goes down. Curtis Samuel goes down. Um, you know, it, it, they, they, they were rattled with injuries. The defense wasn't playing up to par after the great year that they had last year. Taylor Heineke gets inserted after the great postseason game that he played against the Bucks last year, and he was spotty, spotty at best. You know what I mean? It, it, everyone was kind of just like, oh, my God, here it goes, here it goes. And they found a way to just keep the momentum going. Antonio Gibson's playing great. Terry McLaurin's playing great. Logan Thomas is playing great. I mean, oh, the Washington football team fears Logan Thomas tore ACL. Wow, that couldn't have been even worse. The, the fact that I just read that as I kind of scrolled down as ESPN refreshed, uh, wow. Um, sorry, guys. That was a big train of thought that was lost. The point is, Taylor Heineke is doing what he needs to do to win football games, whether that's him extending plays with his legs, him making great reads and not turning the ball over, and then him leading his team down the field to win a game, to kick a game-winning field goal. I'm telling you, I... So the Logan Thomas news, and I, I can't stop stuttering now because I legit said the man's name and it popped up. Like, that's – Washington's playing effective football. They're playing efficient football. Ron Rivera is a, a man amongst men, a, a man amongst boys, and a great, phenomenal head coach. He's always been able to rally the troops behind him. He has always been able to get a locker room to support in his, in his methodology, in how he likes to coach. And it's showing, once again – Washington made the playoffs last year by winning the division. I don't necessarily know if they're going to be able to do that this year, but they are catching up to Dallas. Washington is 6 and 6, Dallas is 8 and 4. They have been struggling as of late. So, I'm not going to rule it out, but 
I'm not going to rule out the fact that they're competing for a wild card spot because right now, if the season ended, they would have a seed, which I believe would be the sixth seed or the seventh seed, one of those two. So they're doing what they need to do. They're winning football games and they're doing it maybe not in the most prettiest of ways, but they're capitalizing and they're getting these W's. So shout out, big shout out to Taylor Heineke, doing what he needs to do. And, um, you know, sorry for Logan Thomas tearing his ACL. Shit, I'm still stuck on that. Yeah, that was probably one of the most unfortunate uh, news uh, stories that I saw from today because he had been playing pretty solid football for Washington, but it's just unfortunate to hear the news about him tearing his ACL. You know, the thing with Washington that kind of confuses me is, you know, granted their defense has been holding teams to either around 20 points or under 20 points the last month or so, but that's pretty much it. You know, they, they do get somewhat of a pass rush, but obviously that pass rush has been hindered because, oh my God, I totally lost his name. Chase, Chase Young. Young. Excuse, thank you. Chase Young going out with the torn ACL. But the one thing that I think Washington does very well defensively is they get teams off the field on third down. And it's really kind of been the main point that I've been focusing on because they don't cause a lot of turnovers in the last four games. They really haven't been able to turn the ball over that much or just have takeaways on the defensive side of the ball. But the standout to me is the fact that they're holding teams to around a 20 to like 30% rate of third down conversions. What that tells me is granted they're not turning the ball over. They're not getting a huge pass rush, but they're getting teams off the field and they're getting the ball back to Taylor Heineke and that Washington offense. And with the way that these games have played out as far as the last month or so, it's effective. I thought that Bucks win was the catalyst of it all. And really, it was that 10-minute drive that Washington had against the Buccaneers that I really think got the confidence building in this team that they could really compete at a very high level if they can knock off a team like the Buccaneers in that manner. And I thought they had a very solid win, like you mentioned, against the Panthers, a close win against Seattle uh, prior to this week, and going on the road to go up against an up-and-down Raiders team, but to hold them to 15 points, that's quite a feat. Because the Raiders have a pretty high-powered offense this year with Derek Carr having a pretty phenomenal year. But I got to give Washington credit. This is a team that, for me... They've been up and down the entire year, so I don't have a lot of faith in Washington. But with the last month or so, they've earned a little bit of my respect pulling off these last four wins in a row. And looking at their schedule, the next five games that they play from here on out, they're all NFC East divisional games. And they got a huge test going up against Dallas next week. So Dallas comes to Washington uh, to play in D.C. And... I'm still of the mindset that Washington can compete with Dallas. I just don't know if they're going to be able to overcome just the firepower, the firepower that Dallas presents on a weekly basis with that offense with Dak Prescott, CeeDee Lamb, and Amari Cooper, and Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield. But the real test for me as far as whether or not that I think Washington is legit if, is if they could beat Dallas next week. That's where I'm really kind of holding my cards at this point. But as of right now, I got to give credit where credit is due. Washington is playing effective football. Granted, I wouldn't say it's the most flashy, but it's doing enough to get by some of these teams and getting wins. 
And I got to give them a little bit of respect for that. But the real test is against Dallas this upcoming week. I think that that's going to be a really good game. Uh, Dallas has been faltering as of late, at least in my opinion. They have not been the dominant force that they were at the beginning of the year. I know that they won uh, the other day, or should I say last week. Uh, not that it was very convincing. The Saints just looked absolutely atrocious, in my opinion. I mean, Taysom Hill threw four interceptions. He's not necessarily a true pocket quarterback. I think that Sean Payton needs to cut ties. That's, that's a whole other rant in and of itself. Um, but I'm, I'm just going to go out there on a limb, and I'm just going to say I think that it's quite possible that they can win this game. I think that this defense, the way that it has been playing, has been very, very effective. And I think with Taylor Heineke riding this hype, riding this wave, uh, going into divisional game at home and potentially this game being the, 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 I guess, the second wind, if you will, to them potentially go, oh, my God, Teddy Bridgewater almost threw another interception. Holy shit, this is getting annoying right now. Um, I think that Taylor can lead this team. Antonio Gibson, we all know, is a very capable and able dual threat running back with his available his availability to catch the ball out of the backfield and then to run it between the tackles. So, I'm very curious to see how Ron Rivera kind of gets these guys ready for this divisional game, but I'm also more curious to see how Dallas comes uh, ready for this game as well because you can't sleep on Washington anymore. They're not um, that team that you can bully and abuse anymore, and I'm not saying that they uh, they should have been ever considered that because no NFL team should be outside of maybe the Jags. I'm saying that as a complete joke to the AFC South, but um, it's going to be a really good game, and I'm really excited to watch it. I can't. I can't say that Washington. Oh God, how am I gonna say this? There I are teams. To, there's a team to look for. Did, Teddy got picked, didn't he? No, he threw a touchdown to Javante Williams in the flat. I like. Oh, you you don't even look at Jerry Judy. You don't even look at him, man. Come on. So what? It's twenty-two to ten. Twenty-two to nine. They're going for two. There's like five minutes left. Mm-hmm. Mm, I so, I yeah, I don't think so either. Listen, let's just leave me alone. I'm gonna go sulk in the corner. With Washington, I just I I I'll give them credit for this four game win streak. But I think that's as far as I can go with it. I I can't see this team really like leaving like like shutters through the NFL. Like this is a team that you need to really be scared of. It's just, you know, Taylor, I think has done a fine job here and there, especially on this four game win streak, but it's, it's Taylor Heineke. You know, the kid has definitely shown some flashes. It's just, I just don't think it's enough. You know, if they had more of a consistent running game with Antonio Gibson in the backfield, granted, I know he's been dealing with a couple of injury issues this year. It's just, this team just like, is like just painfully middle road. There's no other way I could really say it other than that. You know, Ron Rivera has done a very good job of getting this team back into form on this four game win streak, but it's just, this, this team is just middle road. And they're painfully middle road. And there's really no other way I can say it other than that. So, But if they beat Dallas in, what, week 14, that could definitely get my attention. But uh, if they don't, then they then basically Washington just kind of stays in that place as I have them. And that's just middle road. 
Sorry to hey, like, uh, sorry to uh, disrespect I'm, him that way, but it's like that's just how I see it. And that's and that's totally okay. I'm just saying it because Dallas has been vulnerable the last few weeks that I think it can be done. And I think that because of the confidence in this four game win streak of how their defense has been playing, it can be done. I just don't think Dallas can roll into this game and be like, yo, we're the Dallas Cowboys. We have CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper and Ezekiel Elliott. We're going to win by 30. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's not the Washington team of three or four years ago in which they were consistently struggling at the bottom of the NFC East. Mm-hmm. I think that this, this is enough for them to say, we deserve to be here. We can beat this team. And I think that they really can. You, you know the funny part is? like When I look at this game on paper between uh, Dallas and Washington for next week, I immediately think, Dallas is going to win that game. But I've always had like this weird feeling, like whenever I think that kind of think like Dallas is going to win that game, not fairly easily, but you know, enough they'll, they'll win pretty comfortably. They end up losing that game just because Dallas is known to do that. So I still, I look at this game on paper. I still favor Dallas over Washington. Like, that's just kind of how I see it. But knowing you and me, we suck at picking teams anyway for these oh games Oh, my anyway. God. We suck. So, hey, Washington could pull it off. Anything's possible. But yeah, you're not wrong. Do. I'm just yeah. – the odds say Dallas. I'm going with the odds. Sorry. It's fine. I'll, I'll take I'll take Washington when we go and do our predictions for, uh, you know, for the next week. But um, update on the game. They did not capitalize on the two-point conversion. And they went for an onside kick, and they didn't get it. Almost got it, but they did not get it. So, fuck this game. Closing that out. Don't care anymore. Had enough of uh, their ineptitude on offense to give my boy the ball. So, with that, we are going to transition into the, not segment, but at least the kudos to the Detroit Lions getting their first victory against the Minnesota Vikings. They do not go winless. Dan Campbell gets his first victory as a head coach. Jared Goff finally shakes the monkey off to say, at least I got you a win. And the Minnesota Vikings now fall into that place of, are you guys even good at football? (laughs) Oh, my God. They gave a win to the Lions. But Kirk Cousins looked incredible. Kirk Cousins had 10 incompletions. He had two tuts. And he had a passer rating of 116. Bro, it's a hunt. Like Minnesota's defense is dog water. Like absolute positive dog water. Kyle, I got, I got to ask you. Did Detroit deserve to win this game or did Minnesota just cough it up? Minnesota, man. This is, this is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And... Kevin, we were just talking about this maybe like a week or two ago that we were basically essentially saying the the Vikings are a decent team. Granted, their record doesn't reflect that, but we think that overall with the way that Kirk Cousins has been playing on that side of the ball, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and Dalvin Cook when he's been available, that this offense has really shown some great potential throughout the entire year. They, They played phenomenal in stretches. But this damn defense is atrocious. And the fact that you gave up the game-winning touchdown at the buzzer to the Detroit Lions, led by one only, the one, the only, Jared Goff at the quarterback spot. It's just, it's unbelievable. It's really unbelievable. It's just, I, I'm done with the Vikings. I don't want to hear anything about this team anymore for the rest of the year. They have lost all of my respect for this year. 
This is a team that I was pretty much singing their praises a couple of weeks back. When you go out and lose a game like this to Detroit, I don't want to hear anything about Minnesota for the rest of the year. I don't even care if they made the playoffs. I do not want to hear about this team. I'm just, I'm done. You do not lose to a team like the Lions. Granted, I know the Lions, they're a bad team. They're arguably the worst team in the NFL. But to lose in that manner on a buzzer beater, I don't think Viking fans are too pleased about what just happened on Sunday. No, and I, and I, I be, I'm not Twitter, even a Viking. I'm not even a Vikings fan, and I'm pissed for them. So, Twitter's a dark I, place. They're I, all I, calling for Zimmer's head. I I don't blame them. That defense is just straight up garbage, and it's crazy. Just a couple years ago, they had like a top ten defense. Hell, not even like you could say arguably like a top five. Yeah, but no more. Valid. No more. So I, I've had enough with the Vikings. I gave them their chances, and they go out and do some dumb shit like this. I really don't want to hear anything from them. So, Kevin, I'll kick it to you from here. Yeah, I'm just – hey, man, listen. I'm confused uh, just like you are, but I'm looking at it from a topical perspective on the final play. We've looked at film a multitude of times for our own reasons. Obviously, you playing high school football and me just doing it for fun. Um I'm looking at that play over and over, and I kept saying, how the fuck was he so open? The fact that Minnesota played deep prevent defense in the end zone with no underneath coverage from a linebacker or a corner, and for you to legit stare at the receiver open in the end zone. I know Jared Goff like drilled a fastball in there, but for you to react so late to where he caught the ball and fell, and then you touched him, I don't understand. Like, that corner looked a 1,000% lost on Minnesota. That defensive coverage, that that play call, just it did, did not look like it was boating it very well whatsoever. But kudos to Jared Goff for putting that fastball in exactly where it needed to be. Great throw, bad coverage. And I just, me being a defensive guy, a guy that enjoys watching defensive battles, I really can't sit here and say that, you know, like Detroit really went out there and they threw – crazy passes or that Jared Goff made them look bad. They were giving him looks all game to where Jared Goff had, what What are these numbers here? I think he had almost 300 total yards. He was sacked three times and still had three touchdowns. Like Jared Goff looked amazing. And on the other side of the ball, on the other team, the team on the other side, Justin Jefferson had goddamn 182 yards. How do you lose a football game when, when your best player produces one of his best games of the year? Adam Thielen left this game with a bad ankle sprain, so that's understandable that they were missing a weapon, but it wasn't even their fault. It's legit the defense. Like, they could not do a damn thing. Kirk Cousins, he did have a fumble. He was strip-sacked. Okay, that's fine. So Kirk Cousins had one turnover. I'm pretty sure it's his first turnover, turnover in like maybe a month. And I'm not even exaggerating. So this sure shit isn't on Kirk Cousins. This ain't on the offense. That whole defensive, that starting 11 on that side of the football, dude, I'm having them run all day. All day. I know it's not high school. I know it's not college. They're grown men with paychecks. Bro, the only way to resolve it, you know, somebody's got to get the axe. Somebody's got somebody's to run. I <clears throat> Somebody's got to get cut, suspended, fined for sucking. I, I, I don't know because there's no reason this Detroit team should have won this game. Kudos for winning. They did what they needed to do to win and capitalize on the bad defensive plays. 
But Minnesota, man, I I don't know how you cough up this game. It just don't make sense to me. It's disrespectful. It's just a it's just a it's just a disrespectful performance. And I'm not even a Vikings fan. Word. Like that's a game. I, I mean, granted, I know it's a divisional game. I know they play each other twice a year, so look, the Lions probably know them probably better than most. But it's it's the Lions. The Lions are not world beaters by any stretch of the imagination. And with the no Vikings, shot. with the way that they were kind of surging the last couple of weeks, that's out the window at this point. I don't want to hear about them for the rest of the year. I don't even care if they make the playoffs. Because I just don't think that they're a good, well-rounded unit. I think offensively they're fine. But that defense, it's so atrocious. There's nothing more to be said other than that. And that's really the thing that's dragging down that team. It is the defense. So this is kind of my personal feelings on the Vikings. It's just they're they're okay. But that that's it. Kind of similar to what I said with uh, Washington. They're just middle road. And that's what they're going to be for the rest of the year. That's not even middle road, bro. They literally like they, they popped a tire. They're like they're on the they're in the median right now. They're just sitting on the shoulder, busted with a flat tire. This is this is bad. No, they're down no, bad. No, it's like the engine's on fire. You it's bad. See, you got you got to scrap it, bro. You got to scrap it. It is what it is. Yeah, just you, can't have that. you just you can't have that. No shot. So, but. Yeah, well, your favorite part of the episode, oh, the part you probably – you've been licking your chops at this part. This man, Kyle, said, you know what? We the number one seed in the AFC. We we lead the AFC East. We back on top. I actually saw a tweet that made me laugh, and it was uh, Chancellor Palpatine with, like, the evil laugh as he became Darth Sidious, cool. where it was like cool. – <laughs> where it was like um, the Patriots – uh, Patriot fans, when they realized that Belichick planned this from the jump and they tanked the year to get the players that they got to see <laughs> Like, all of this was, like, formulated in a plan from, like, 10 years ago, and he was just like, let them doubt me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kyle, I'm just going to kick it to you, man. Buffalo, New England, um, what do you think is going to happen and why? It's tough for me to keep the bias out of this one. I'm going to go with New England in a close <laughs> one, and, and here's why. I'll be honest with you. I think this defensive unit that the Patriots have, I think they're going to present some problems for Josh Allen in that offense. Because the one thing that the Bills can't do is run the football. And it's kind of unfortunate for them in that sense because New England has one of the worst rushing defenses throughout the entire NFL. And... Even though that I think Josh Allen is a very solid quarterback, he's going to go up against a secondary that has just been getting turnovers left and right. I mean, for God's sakes, J.C. Jackson is right alongside Trayvon Diggs as far as the most turnover-centric player in the NFL just because apparently the ball just likes to find him no matter where he is on the field. The guy has seven interceptions. The guy is the leading interception getter since he's gotten into the league. And it really just kind of goes to show that despite the fact that I don't think New England has a lot of like star-studded players on the defensive side of the ball, they are just at the right place at the right time, and they're able to force turnovers 
in a consistent manner, and it's leading to wins overall for the Patriots. And then when you kick it to New England's offense, they still have some issues as far as scoring in the red zone, but they are consistently putting up at least 25 to 30 points. And on this five-game winning streak that they've been on, actually, excuse me, it is now a six-game winning streak, they've been putting up damn near 30 to 35 points in every game that they play. And they've been going up against some decent competition as well. Now, granted, this is probably their biggest challenge because they're going up against a team that went to the AFC Championship game last year in the Bills. But I think as long as New England does not turn the ball over, I think if they're able to manage the clock effectively and that the defense is able to get some turnovers against Josh Allen in that high-powered offense with Buffalo, I think New England could get a close win here. I'm not going to say that New England is going to beat them by 20, 25 points and shock the world. But I do think that they'll get enough to get by Buffalo in this one. I think it's going to be a relatively close game. I'm thinking like 27-24 in this one. But I think the Patriots, they get a close win on the road. It would actually improve their road record to, I believe, 6-0, and which is kind of astounding at this point just because this is mostly a team that does very well at home. But this year, it's been the opposite. They've been a team that's been very good on the road. And it would bump them as the sole owner of the number one seed in the AFC, which if you were to go back a month and a half ago, two months ago, it would have literally been, it would have been utter insanity to say something like that, that New England would be the number one seed in the AFC at this current moment in time. But I think, I think New England can do it. And that's the best that I could do to put the bias aside on this one. I'm just going to keep it blunt and straight up. Buffalo can't run the football. And I said it earlier, Belichick is known for one thing and one thing only, and that is taking your best asset away in which how in, in which how you win football games. Josh Allen is the catalyst to this entire team. They do well based upon his success or failure. If I don't have to worry about limiting the run, I'm legitimately just going to drop everybody back into coverage and make Josh Allen make the plays, whether that's forcing it to Diggs, forcing it to Knox, Manuel Sanders, whatever. You're literally talking about the best cornerback in football, arguably, right now, if uh, other than Trayvon Diggs in um, uh, Jesse Jackson, right? JC Jackson. Just JC Jackson. It, it, it's, it's that simple. You, this is why people say you need to have a balanced offense. The fact that they're winning as often as they are without being able to run the football, and now they have to play a team that is very well on that defensive side of the ball, as well as the team that is able to just historically is known for taking away your best offensive weapon. I'm just sitting here and I'm saying, I don't know how Buffalo is going to win. Now, I know that we are just terrible at predictions, and I would not be surprised if Josh Allen decides to tell me to shut the fuck up and lights it up for three, four touchdowns. I just don't see that as possible. Buffalo's defense is where I'm going to give them some form of an edge just because they are playing against a rookie quarterback. He has been playing very effective and well this season, but their defense does have the capability to not only pressure the quarterback, stop the run game, which they were just completely unable to do against Jonathan Taylor, so I'm probably sounding like an absolute ass right now. But I'm just trying to think of ways to kind of make this not uh, 100% a guaranteed W for the New England Patriots. And it's really hard to because I'm sitting here trying to poke holes in my own argument, which is not only stupid, but very almost hypocritical. And the point of the matter is, I think New England is going to be able to capitalize on the late struggles of Josh Allen. Josh Allen has not been the same quarterback that he was last year. 
He's had a lot of ups and downs. I mean, so has the team. They just lost Davius White for the year. Their inability to run the football has hindered their capabilities on the offensive side, which all which puts which which puts all the weight on Josh Allen's shoulders. Sorry, I thought something fell. Um, and I'm just looking at this team and I'm saying, you know, is there a way for Buffalo to capitalize? And I just I genuinely don't know how it's going to be. Max got to play turnover free football, so that's just going to be how the Patriots are going to be able to win. But uh, outside of that, I think Buffalo is going to start to fall. You said fall? Fall in the AFC because you lose to the Patriots who are in your division. This is massive. New England then catapults to 9-4. and four. That puts the division not necessarily out of reach, but in a bad place. Because they own the tiebreaker against you now. New England then is number one seeded in the entire AFC. And it's a seven-game win streak. I think it's a favorable schedule for you guys for the remainder of the year because you play us, you got to play the Dolphins again, you got to play the Bills again, and then what? You play the Jets one more time? I uh, know we played the Jets already. Um, so who's your last game? Who am I missing? Well, we played the Bills twice. We played the us. Colts and then the, the Dolphins. That's oh, it. right. So, dude, this is this is pivotal. This is absolutely insane. This is going to determine the remainder of the division with this game. There's so much weighing on this that I think that if you – yeah, bro, you play them now. If you beat them, you put them in a spot where they're about a game and a half behind, if not two games. I, I, I think that Colts game for New England is going to be a trickier one than I think you anticipated. I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm just I'm saying. I'm not saying that you're going to beat us for sure. I'm saying that I, I feel like that is a winnable game for you. It's a wonderful that, game for you guys. Like, like I, I'm keeping it a buck here. Just because Jonathan Taylor presents that big of a danger. I don't like my head coach. Okay? Leave me alone. Besides, when I predict us to lose, we find ways to win. So I'm doing what I'm doing on purpose. <laughs> Putting the juju in the universe. But no, like, I, I mean, I'll say this. This is a big game for New England. There's no doubt. It's a big game for Buffalo. It's just... To me, this is the first test. I got to see how both these teams respond after this game takes place. And then when they clash again, that's when, to me, it's really for all the marbles. Because if either of these teams win both games, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. So if the Bills win this matchup twice, or if the Patriots win this one twice, pretty much that team is going to, not only be the AFC East divisional winner, there's a very good chance that they could arguably be the best team in the AFC when it's all said and done. So that's where I think really kind of this matchup is going to go because, I mean, granted, Buffalo has not been the best team this year, but they did beat down KC a couple weeks back. and They did so in a convincing fashion. And I do. Think yeah, but that's that's when they were fully healthy, and, though. And I, when I look at the rest of the AFC, it really is kind of a a toss up right now. But I still believe that Buffalo can can kind of make their claim moving forward. But I can't believe I'm saying this. Like the Patriots got a really good shot here. They have a really good shot to take that number one seed. And, and just a month and a half ago, I thought that would have been impossible. But they have really pulled off a really good stretch here. And, bro, if they, I, I, I can't believe it. 
I really can't. I, I just I can't believe how well the defense has been playing. I can't believe how well Mac has continued to progress throughout his rookie season. And Kevin, I just gotta throw this out here just for shits and giggles. What do you think? Would oh, happen? don't, no, don't, 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 because I, I saw your face. That I know where that's going. If no, it's not going to happen. Because if it happens, this is going to be an individual podcast again. Because I can't deal with your shit for another fucking off season of that nonsense. I can't. No, no. What if the Patriots play the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl? You're not going to the Super Bowl. No. No, I can't deal with you. I can't. No, I can't humor this conversation. I can't humor this hypothetical or discussion. Kevin, we're back like we never left. <laughs> oh, God, you see what I mean, guys? One liners like that me want to punch my partner in the we're, face. We're, we're back like we never left. It's just, oh my God. we just changed that one guy for another, and we're back, baby. We're back. I'm just... Win this game tomorrow, and then we'll have a conversation potentially about that. I'm just saying, bro, it'd be like the biggest Super Bowl ever. Yeah, Brady versus Belichick and the winner take all. That would be absolutely insane, but it's not but, happening. So. But you know you know the best part about it, though? I'm in a win-win situation in that case. My boy Tom, if he gets the dub, I'm ha- like, I don't take an L there. The Patriots win. That's my team. I, it's a win-win for me. Like, I, I, There's no downside. I'm I so mean, happy I, for you. I'm so thrilled. You should be. <laughs> I am. It's it's like my heart is like overzealous with just emotion for you right now. Bro, it's like it's like your heart is like the Grinch and it's gonna like grow like three times the size, bro. Like it's <laughs> it's just it's just meant to be, bro. Just guys, thank you so much for coming to the episode today because I have had enough of Kyle's shit in the last four minutes. Kevin, it's just we're back, baby. We're back. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll see what back is if you can actually go out and beat Buffalo right now. So we'll see. Yeah, and there's no guarantee that that's going to happen either. So, but no, absolutely I just, not. I just wanted to entertain you for a minute. That's all. So I'm glad. I'm I, glad. I, I'm glad I could push some of those and hit some of those buttons. So I do. I do typically a pretty good job of that. So indeed, you I, do. I, I I do the part well. Yeah, that's a fact. Kevin, you got, you got you got uh anything to talk about with this uh, Broncos Chiefs game, or you uh, pretty much checked out of that one? I it's it's over. It's twenty nine, twenty two to to nine final. So that game ended about maybe like five ten minutes ago. So Jerry Judy ended with eleven fantasy points. So at least he got me double digits. I don't even know what Tyreek Hill did. I, I closed my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> I got angry. I know. I know. I think Tyreek Hill got me like six points. So I'm not happy about that either. I'm playing against him, so I'm not really mad about that right now. Kev, you got anything else? Um, no, honestly, there's not really much going on in a lot of other places. Uh, the NBA, the, I mean, the Warriors knocked off the Suns from their win streak, but Devin Booker didn't play. Um, the Mavericks the, the, still the, suck. The the Bulls had a nice, nice win over the Nets a couple of days ago. Lonzo Ball with the with the clutch go ahead three. Yep. The, the the Knicks are in eleventh place in in the uh, in the Eastern Conference right now. Knicks fans, how are you feeling about that? Ouch, that's a little like burn. Uh, actually, Demar Derozan has the most NBA points, and Alex Caruso leads the league in steals. Telling you, bro. Caruso Bulls? the goat? Question mark. 
telling you, bro, once he put that headband on, nothing was the same after that. <laughs> that it was never the same. He's been hooping ever since. Bro, he's a bucket. I, I, I'm glad that he kind of shaved his head too, because did you see him before he shaved his head? He was he was fighting that baldness for a while. It was kind of just like let it happen, big guy. See, see, that's what Braun's gonna do next. But I, no, he'll, he'll I, never I, let it happen. I, I, Braun would look kind of ugly with a bald head, though. Kobe pulled it. Kobe he, pulled it off well. See, but Braun did that after I forgot what finals against the Warriors, where they lost, and then he shaved his head, and he did that famous video oh, where like yeah, he yeah, yeah. came out with that song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it looked really yeah. bad. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I'm glad you remember the video I'm talking about him yeah, in the gym. And he was, it was like, the one where he's he like... was like. <laughs> <laughs> Freaking screaming oh, the t- that screaming the T Grizzly lyrics too. Oh man, that was funny, guys. For those of you that can't see us because you're listening <laughs> to the audio, Kyle and I did the exact same motion at the exact same time. Holy shit, that was funny, that, bro. And he made the face too, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he was like, "With the choppers and the rollies." <laughs> I don't even know how the I, I don't know how the lyrics go in that song. Hit the I don't know with either. The yeah, yo, that shit was crazy, bro. I was like, bro, what are you doing? It was like the day after they lost the finals. Too. He's I, I just know. sitting there. He's like, <laughs> he's like, he's back in the lab, bro. Just going to work. And he just went bald because he was tired of Jr. Shit. I think it was that finals. I think it was the finals where Jr. Completely fucked up. Yeah, didn't he like quote unquote like break his hand because he smashed the freaking chair so hard because he dropped. Yeah, he was playing in an NBA. He was playing in NBA finals with a broken hand, but I never saw him at all with the tape or a wrap throughout that entire postseason. I mean that entire series, but once again, neither here nor there. That's just, uh, that's just uh, LeBron's PR team doing work, you know, just Just to kind of like to soften the blow of, you know, losing another finals. I think they got swept too, right? They got swept in that finals. I think so. I think so. You know, LeBron's PR team would do work on that, just you know, to soften the blow. It wasn't. It wasn't him. It was everybody else. Jared didn't help though. No, not at all. So, but, but guys, about eleven fifteen, just about coming up to that time. So, um, thank you so much for all the support lately. I know that the uh, the numbers are pretty down as of late. Kyle and I are just going to keep at it. We really appreciate for those of you that have been tuning in and have been listening and have been supporting, whether that's liking our YouTube videos, just listening to us on all the, all the audio platforms. We really appreciate it. Um, we're going to remain consistent and kind of power through. So, well, like I said before, if you guys haven't already followed or do not currently follow us, you know, follow us on Apple Podcasts, you know, Spotify, Anchor, whatever platform you need. Subscribe to us on YouTube if you like the content, like the videos. Uh, we appreciate any and all support for any newcomers. And, you know, like I said before, to anybody that's been following us for the past couple of months, if not the past year or so, we just appreciate the loyalty and sticking with us. Yeah. I mean, I don't have anything really else to add other than that. Just appreciate you guys tuning in, whether it was listening to us on the audio platforms like Kevin mentioned or watching us on YouTube. We definitely appreciate the support. Uh, we got another episode coming out for you guys later this week, so definitely stay tuned for that. And other than that, it's pretty much all I got. So with that said, We're going to sign off on this one, and we'll see you guys later.
Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Acid Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music.